Only thing I'm plugging is Forgotten Seasons. Welcome back to another episode of Forgotten Seasons. This is your host, Dylan Dreyfus. Today we got a guy in a team that I have been shooting for for a while. Kenyon Martin on the 2002 Eastern Conference champion, New Jersey Nets. There's no other way to start telling the story of the season than in July of 2001. Jason Kidd comes into New Jersey, traded for Stephon Marbury. Kidd at 28 years old is in the absolute prime of his career and immediately turns the tide in New Jersey. He leads them to the number one seed in the East, the number one defense in the league, finishes number two in MVP voting to Tim Duncan. I don't think you can understate just how good Jason Kidd was at this time. Not only is he far and away the best point guard in the league, but arguably one of the best two-way players in the entire league. Supporting cast starting with Kmart. This is year number two for him. Number one pick in the 2000 draft. Kmart and Jay Kidd are, are flat out just one of the best lob connections maybe ever, but The headlines surrounding Martin this season are not that lob connection, his ferocious defense, or anything like that. Instead, it is his out-of-control play style, dubbed by many as detrimental to the team. Over the course of the season, he picks up six flagrant fouls, gets suspended for five games. Those fouls include him really just clocking guys like Karl Malone, Tracy McGrady. But you'll hear from Kmart. He wasn't concerned with any of that noise. He was never going to change his play style and who he was. Rounding out that supporting cast, we got Kerry Kittles, we got Keith Van Horn, we got a rookie Richard Jefferson. And despite being dubbed a fringe playoff team heading into the year, the Nets finish as the number one seed in the East. In the playoffs, they take care of Indiana in five games in round one. Do or die game five, double overtime. One of the craziest games of that decade. Definitely go back and rewatch that if you haven't seen it. They then take on Charlotte, Baron Davis led, no Jamal Mashburn the series, the Nets take care of business in five, and then conference finals, Paul Pierce, Antoine Walker, Celtics, Nets advance in six games, setting up a finals matchup against the defending back-to-back champion, Los Angeles Lakers. Not much else needs to be said, Shaq, Kobe, sweep. You'll hear Kmart talk about what it was like just matching up against those two monsters. In short, pretty much impossible. Reminder to drop a rating and a review on the pod. We're going to jump into it now. Forgotten Seasons with Kenyon Martin on the 2002 Nets begins right now. Kenyon Martin, how you doing today, man? I'm well, I'm well, man. How about yourself? Hey, I can't complain. You know, talking to you about the 2002 Nets, like I said, a fan favorite. So I'm excited to get into this one. No doubt. Let's get it. Let's get it. So I think first to start, kind of painting the picture of you and and how you played on the court because what I loved reading about this season and you you coming into the league is that you knew exactly who you were and you were never going to waver you brought that toughness to New Jersey right away but I think even before your NBA career where it started is your upbringing you were born in Saginaw Michigan you you lived in Dallas for a lot of your 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 later years but born in Saginaw grandma was a big Pistons fan Uh, she had you in front of the TV watching the Pistons, and at that time, that's the height of the bad boys era. And watching you play, there's no denying that you brought that bad boy energy to the court. Can you just talk a little bit about how your early memories of watching the Pistons with Grandma kind of shaped who you were on the basketball court? No, it's just how they played. And everybody was Lakers this, Bulls that, Celtics this, and just being from Michigan, um, so we had the Pistons, and their style of play was 
was different than the other teams. And mm-hmm. then growing up in Dallas and playing at the rec center and all that, growing up in the environment I grew up in, it fit that style of play. So me seeing guys get hard fouled and guys fighting after a foul call or what all that, that's what I saw growing up on the floor with the Pistons then. That's what I saw when I started really playing after the age of 10. That's what I saw. And that's just what I gravitated towards, that style of play and that that hard-nosed way to approach the game and just never wavered. Never wavered. This is also the year where you're on the cover of Sports Illustrated with Bad Boy on the on the cover. Did that did that title come from you being a fan of the Pistons? Like, did you present them with that, or, or did they just kind of no, put that, that on? Was, that was all them. That was all them. Just from on floor things that was going on, and and people knew where my tattoo on my chest said it said "Badass Yellow Boy." So so they just ran with it. And from what I'm gathering, this. It's one of the most popular um, Sports Illustrated covers for a while. You know what I'm saying? So it's it was dope. It was dope coming into that season, being on Sports Illustrated, being on the cover of Slam, being on on everybody's radar. You know what I'm saying? For my for the way I approached the game and the way I played the game, um, it was over the top sometimes for some people, but that's who I was, and that's and that's why I made my name for myself. You know? Just the way the game went for me, man. I played with a hedge. I played with my emotions on my sleeve. Um, and the consequences of being suspended and fined and all that didn't register to me. You know, because I was, like you said in the beginning, I was just going to be me no matter what. Never wavered. And I think there's power to that. Like your teammates clearly picked that up too a little bit. Um, obviously, the storyline of the the 0102 season going into it is Marbury getting traded for J kid. I remember you saying you were at the rucker when you heard the news, one of your boys kind of tapped you on the shoulder said, you know, Marbury's gone. J kids in. What was your first reaction to hearing that? Just to sum it up, like one word probably is wow. Like me, me being in Dallas when J kid went to the mm-hmm. Mavericks, um, he's seen his rookie year and therefore on um, him winning co-rookie of the year. Yeah. Co-rookie of the year with Grant Hill that year. Um, no, nah, it was just, I was always a fan. And seeing the way he played and the way he, how fast he played and just his ability to pass the ball, man, was was intriguing to me. And one of the things I never thought I'd get to do in my career was one of them is play, play against Michael Jordan and play with Jason Kidd. And it happened in the same year, man. So. <laughs> That's you know what dope. I'm saying? But no, nah, but having J. Kidd, man, I just knew it was the way I played. I just knew it was going to be something special. I didn't know it was going to work out that well that soon, but I knew we was going to have something. You definitely had something. Did that – I mean, there's no denying that you and J. Kidd, probably one of the best lob combinations ever. Did that, did that connection take any time to form, or was there any talk on, on how to play off of each other, or was it really just like an on-court nah, feel thing? Read. Yeah, it was the on-court reads and feel. Like, he used to throw the ball in places, man, that it was pretty much disrespectful to the opposition. Because <laughs> he knew I'd go get it. And if I couldn't dunk it, I'm going to come down with it. So he trusted me to make him look good. my ability. And if he turned it over, he turned it over. So it was just either can you go get it or nobody going to get it. Because mm. he knew, like I'm saying, my competitive nature and, and my athleticism that I, that, I'm saying, I had an advantage. Like over a lot of guys, 
So it was one of the things, man. Like he's from the Bay Area, growing up around Gary Payton, Gary a little older, but and me growing up a big time Sean Kemp fan. Like it was that. Like it was that for me. So we never it was never a discussion, I don't believe, man. It was just go out there and we we same way offensively and defensively. Like that's just what it was. Like we all over the place on both ends of the floor. And and and, and everybody else just followed. Like, how can you have two guys out there going that hard and defensively and offensively and you're not buying two? A hundred percent. I mean, it's crazy that you never made an all-defense team. I think people forget that you're one of the originators of really positionless defense. You're getting to throw it on Jermaine O'Neal one night, then they're putting you on Paul Pierce. You're going on Reggie Miller in, in crunch time. And this year, you guys are number one in defense coming from 23rd in defense the year before. So I think everybody, when they think about Jay Kidd and, and you, probably the first thing that comes to mind is those lobs. But I don't think people realize, like, on the defense side of the ball, you and Jay Kidd, big man guard duos, like, not mu- not many not many ever better than that. Uh, I also noticed just watching you guys play back, you guys ran a lot of, like, full-court trap, press-type stuff. Can you just talk about, like, the philosophy uh, on of the Nets' defense back then with you and Jay Kidd at the helm? Just running around causing havoc, man. <laughs> Listen, that's, that's all it was. Like, if you look at him, J.K. could be guarding Reggie Miller, one of the best shooters of, of his time, or Ray Allen, whoever it is, and he won. Like, he's not just guarding them. He's helping he's guarding them, but he's helping. He's talking. He's in the passing lane. You hear him. And I'm the same way. So I'm always talking. He's always talking. So we just work. And defensively, man, it was – so we took pride in it. Like, you know, I, I've always taken pride in it and having somebody like-minded in that regard and with the schemes and all that that we had with Lawrence Frank game planning and all that. Like, we were hell. Like, we were, we were very prepared each and every game. And high basketball IQ played a part in that. You know, you so not just with the running around and athleticism and all that from everybody. You got to have a high basketball IQ to understand what's going on. And to be able to recognize sets and call sets out to take teams out of things. You know, Gilbert Arenas tell the story that when he was playing us early in his career, he like, yo, man, this dude calling out our plays. Like, like, no, we can't run that. Like, no, we can't run that when we play. So it was that. It was a high basketball IQ and just running around creating havoc, man. Pressing, trapping, playing our little zone we call Spider. Like it was, it was stuff like that. You know, we were all over the place. Like Spider got eight legs, so you know we it's covered. So it's a lot of ground being covered. You know, so Lawrence Frank put a clip together early on where I'm on the left, I'm on the right wing doing some trapping, contesting. When it helped in the paint, and then I contested the corner three. You know, so it's stuff like that. That Jay Kidd used to do the same thing. So it was like we just helped one another out in that regard. If he got beat, I was there, and vice versa, and we all to the races. I love that spider. That's dope. So that's where it came. You got just eight legs everywhere. That's where the name came. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, man. It was like, what can we call it? We're all over the place. You got Carrie Kittles out there, long arms, athletic. Richard Jefferson, long arms, athletic. Myself, Jay Kidd. Then we just throw whoever at the five. That's dope. But we had smart you... basketball players, though. Like we had very, very high IQ guys. I think that's what it was. I think you mixed that high IQ just with the the freakish athleticism and physicality uh, to me. 
did you do you remember like a, a moment or a game or a practice where you it kind of clicked in your mind like okay damn like you know we're, we're really good because you start you start the year seven and one but if you recall like going into the season what everybody's saying is that you know it's milwaukee it's philly uh even yeah. orlando if they think they think orlando is going to be really good with t-mac and grant hill supposedly coming back healthy so you guys are basically dubbed as like a fringe playoff team did you one did you guys carry that chip on your shoulder? Like they don't think that we're going to be good. And then two, was there a moment in your, in your mind that you remember like, okay, like we got something serious going on here. Nah, man, we just hooping. Like we're coming off from winning 26 games the year before. I didn't know nothing different. Like we just hooping, going mm -hmm. down and playing. It was just working. Man. We were going down and we found a way to win. Like we had a recipe for winning. We was running the offense that cut a lot of people off guard. And like I have, of course, sets were were second to none at the time, running a little Princeton thing that we was doing um, with athletes and with a better schemes and twist to it. Um, defensively doing what we did. And we just, we were imposing our will on people. And we went from 26 wins to 52 to that. I'm saying so. That's a testament to J.K. coming in, myself having a year under my belt, drafting Richard. Um, Carrie being healthy, and us just going like it was. It was. It was that. It was, it was just us putting it together and not knowing. Men made the playoffs the year before, so it was. It was foreign. It was foreign. To, mm -hmm. It was foreign to most of the guys. Um, so for us to be in that position come playoff time, and then I think the the answer to that question was probably the Anderson series that year on the first round. You know, it was still five games then. So us, I want to. I I was gonna get to that because I'm, 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 they were seasoned. That's not your regular eight seed. Not at all. They had been together. You know, mm -hmm. so they had injuries, whatever they had that year. And for us to to get past them in the first round, it was, it was tough. It was tough. Um, I think Reggie's shot didn't count, but <laughs> we didn't have all the history replay and all that stuff back then. So, but to that degree. Um, but now, nah, man, it was a great series, and I think after that, that gave us a lot of confidence, man. Like us getting through them and that tough team and the way we played and battled them, and it was it was on from there. It was on from there. And then that year playing the Lakers in the playoffs, man. I mean, in the finals, it was. But that moment that I thought we re that we realized we had some of the Indiana series. What do you remember? I, I, I was reading going back. You and Jermaine O'Neal had a lot of history together, same high school class, 96, and he's coming off most improved player that year. And he's talking sort of like, I think, trying to assert himself as like a dominant force in the league. And of course, you're on the other side of that. What do you remember just from that lead up? He goes off in game one and has like 30, but then two through five, he's averaging like 14, shooting 40 percent. And that's that's you. Determination. Like, wasn't going to let it happen again. I don't know how many free throws he shot in that game, but um, no, he had a good game game. I just took it upon myself. Like, nah, we ain't not. I, I'm, I'm better than that. Mm -hmm. So the challenge was on from that moment on. You know, every time I played him from that playoff series on, man, it was, this is what it's going to be, you know? And, and I think me taking that matchup personally, helped us get past that series. And you, and you think about it, the final game, they ran an ISO for him, and they had a chance to go up, and I stripped him for game. 
You know, so that was that was my moment of letting him know, like, like I'm here. That is a great old, talent. You know what I'm saying J.O. was tough. Yeah. J.O. was giving people fit. Like you said, you're coming out most improved. That whole I think that whole game five needs like a deep rewind because you mentioned the Reggie shot at the end, but he also they're down three. He pumps, gets fouled, then Richard misses the two free throws, and then Reggie comes back and hits the three. Uh, and then yeah. J Kid takes over in, in second overtime. I read a story about you and Richard. He was he was John at Bonzi Wells during the season in Portland. He was John at Bonzi Wells, said like fuck you, Bonzi. And then you came yeah. in to, to mend it. And then he said, fuck you, Kmart too. And then yeah. I mean, I'll let you tell the story, but the, the story <laughs> that I read is basically the only reason that Richard Jefferson is alive is because of Aaron Williams. Yeah, I probably wasn't going to kill him, but I definitely didn't get to put my hands on the way I wanted to. <laughs> um, yeah, because I'm, I'm trying to look out for you, dude. We're on the floor. We down. We at Portland. Like, they, they was Portland. Like, they kicking our ass. He out there talking shit to Bonzi and the ref, like, I'm going to give him a tech in, tell him to calm down. I'm like, Arjun, calm down. Dog. It ain't worth it. Like, man, fuck you. <laughs> fuck me. So I'm first one in the locker room. As soon as he come in the locker room, I dive on him. I, I, I start swinging. And Aaron grabbed me. Train, train was standing there like right by me. And he, as soon as I started swinging, Aaron grabbed me. And I got a few off the train, bust my lip, like grab his, his shoulder, hit me in my mouth, trying to grab me. And I'm like, yo. I told Aaron, I said, hey, don't you ever grab me again in life, dog. <laughs> Hands down, one of the strongest people I've ever been around. So I told him, don't you ever grab me again, man. I don't care what I'm doing. <laughs> but yeah, no, nah, man, I was just, I was that. I, I was wired that way, man. I just didn't take no shit from nobody. Teammates or not. So he, he was young, so he understood. So we've been, we've been great ever since that moment. Do you think that type of stuff is important? I mean, not like full-on fistfights, but do you think it, it, it can be beneficial to, to good teams to have you know, internal adversity and and speak up, speak out against each other. Do you think that that builds chemistry? It can. It depends on it depends on how you are internally. It depends on what you built on. Because some a lot of a lot of guys from my era and on and before, a lot of guys soft and sensitive. Mm -hmm. You know, they can't stand criticism. They can't stand. They can't do what we did and come back and be ready to play the next game. Mm -hmm. Like so a lot of guys can't bounce back from that, but. It's what's important. I'm saying we are well, we are here to do a job and I here to win. And whatever I gotta do to get you to that point, then that's what I've been that way from high school to college to the pros. I didn't change that. So if you're not doing what we need to do to win, then I got something to say. And if you got something to say back, then we can get to it. Mm -hmm. And may the best man win after that. But it was I, I think it's good at times, not with, with certain guys that can handle it. Certain guys, a lot of guys can't. A lot of guys' feelings get involved and they and they check out. And I don't want them guys on my team. Mm, true to that. Uh, you mentioned it earlier, but I think this year you had like six flagrant fouls suspended for five games. And the biggest storyline surrounding you, other than kind of emerging as this force, all these writers are saying, you know, he's a detriment to the team. He's playing out of control. They're interviewing Byron Scott and, you know, front office. Was there a, ever a time where, like, somebody from the team approached you and said you got to calm down? Not from the team, but David Stern. Oh. Yeah, so he David reached Stern out to you? Reached out, 
Yeah, yeah. Reached out to the team, and they told me David Stern would have a sit-down. Um, yeah. And that sit-down was, son, you need to get your act together. Um, if you I heard he doesn't fuck. Of, I, I heard he doesn't fuck around. His last name is it. Didn't, if, if it was a definition, look up. It's him. Like, Stern. Like, didn't, didn't bullshit. Like, no, it was like no phone league basically at times. But I got it. I understood what he said. And, yeah, because that year, like you said, the five games, it was, I think it was the two games for the Tracy fight, maybe three games for the Corey McGetty fight. Uh, yeah, I lost 350000 that year in fines. Um, and you said a few flagrants. Yeah, so it was, it was, like I said, borderline for some people, over the top for some, and not enough for others. <laughs> but... It was just who I was, man, and it and it made put the league on alert, like like whatever, whatever, whatever it is, it is. So wasn't thought out, wasn't wasn't planned. It just happened organically, and that's the way I played the game, man. It wasn't like this year I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna have two fights and I'm gonna I'm gonna have six flaggers and I want to get the league back. Over a quarter million dollars. Like, no, nah, that, that wasn't the plan, but it just who I was, man. How I played, it just happened, and I wouldn't take it back. Mm-hmm. I bet there's dudes that you notice on the floor, like flinching, not looking at you because they wasn't. Oh, about yeah, it. man. Yeah, they, a lot of dudes don't. For one, they worry about the fine, worried about the suspension, and two, or they just don't want that action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and I've always, like, it didn't, re- it didn't, for me, that respect go along a lot much further than that money would. Facts. Facts. So that's, yeah. So people think I was trying to make people afraid of me and I wanted people to fear me and all that. Like, nah, you, if you respect me, you, you, you understand what it is, whether it's a, whether it's a fearful respect or whether it's a good, whatever it is, just respect it. So guys knew, and I'm pretty sure it was, it was listed on the scouting report. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I would think so. Um, so going back to the playoffs, you get through Indiana. That's the big test. Five-game series. Second round, Charlotte kind of take care of them pretty easily in five. It's a good Baron Davis squad, though. Quality team. Then the East Finals, you got Boston. You you said before that you loved playing against Boston in the playoffs. Uh, what was it about just going into the Boston Garden, stealing a game from them and kind of yeah, what what was it about playing against Boston that you enjoyed? I think we we lucked up in um, the Charlotte series. They didn't have Jamal Mansbury, and I think Facts. he would have helped them. Um, but Boston, man, historic, man, historic nature nature of of that of that leprechaun, man. It's it was being able to play there and 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 impose our will on the people. And your like, garden, was, your your garden, Pierce and Walker. You know, you're you're yeah, going yeah, three through five. Yeah, absolutely, switching off, but most of the assignment was on Twan. Mm. Um, I had success on him during the regular season, so uh, offensive and defensive. So that was, and he was a perennial All Star. So he's he putting was, up 20, 20, 20, 20, 25 shots a game. Shut that shit down. Like, I had that, yeah. People talk about game being in their pocket. I like Tron as a person. 
Good guy. But I used to give Antoine Walker fits. What'd you do? I, re- I just realized he was one of the few. This is what I realized early on in my career. The NBA is built on athleticism, toughness, IQ, and all those things. And if you're playing against a guy in the only box probably Twan checked greater than me in that regard. I don't know his IQ, so I can't speak on that. But probably his shooting. That's it. I'm saying? So I realized it early. And he wasn't the only one. I just played against him a lot. But he wasn't the only one who I felt this way about. So I, I felt that I can impose my will on him. He wasn't stronger than me. You wasn't going to bully me. You're not taller than me. You're not more athletic than me. You can't jump higher, so it's just what is it that you do? You're not going around me. You're not going through me. You're not going over me. You got a long night at the office. You, t- are you Were you a big talker? Now on the floor, like not while I'm playing. On the bench, yeah. When I'm Because during, during the game, I'm so locked into – Game plan, assignments, rotations, talking, doing all that stuff that I ain't got. Unless you start. You start barking out there, you say something, then, yeah, you got my attention. Or if you if you say something, if I'm on the bench, you say something, I check back in, and it's still fresh, then, yeah. But I really didn't talk like that. I was loud, rambunctious, play with emotion, all that, but I wasn't a big yap because I'm, I'm, I'm more of an action guy. But if you want to talk shit, I could talk shit with the best of and and continue to play. So that wasn't it. It was just I knew that what I needed to be out there doing and focusing on is the game plan that's trying to win. So, but no, I didn't. I didn't yap a lot on the floor. So you get through Boston six. Uh, they got that crazy comeback. That was that yeah. like, like 20, 20 and one fourth word. But you took care of business. Then you got the Lakers in the finals. I mean, maybe not much to say. Really, nothing you could have did, like done against them. Like you talked about that one picture of Shaq dunking on the whole state of New Jersey. That's you know, yeah. that's there. If you, if you got one one moment or, or or what comes to mind first when you just think of you know two thousand two finals, Shaq and Kobe. The story. The story. Just look at the numbers. Look at Shaq's numbers in the finals against us. Thirty six. Right. Yeah, historic. Like it was, it was easy for him. Like it was, it was, it was real easy for him. You know what I'm saying? It was real easy for him. You know what I'm saying? So, and we had a decision to make whether you want to play him straight up or you want to double him. If you're doubling, you got shooters. We got now we try to we forced to try to play Kobe one on one, but you know how that was going to go. Um, but yeah, so that that's like. Yeah, it was it was it was a tall task for to ask the team first year in the finals, first year in the playoffs in a long time, first time in the finals in a long time. So it's just one of them things. Like it's just one of them things that we we um yeah, it's just one of the things that we were we were new to it, not experienced enough to compete all the way, but we showed up there. 
You know what I'm saying? We showed up and and they just hey, they were better than us. You know, I know no no way to put it. You know what I'm saying? Did you did you I, notice no other way to put it? So after after this, that's kind of when the relationship between them kind of starts to deteriorate. Like, what did you notice you saw on the court between them? Was it at that time? Is it Kobe's team or is it still Shaq's team? It's, it's fucking Shaq's team. Like any team Shaq was on, I don't care who else was on it, because you had the game plan around Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> so I don't care who else is out there. You got a game plan around Shaquille O'Neal. This is what it is. Like, like I said, did nobody ever guard Shaq? Father Time guarded Shaq. <laughs> like, Father Time is the only person that guarded Shaq. So you got a game plan around him. That Cleveland Shaq don't count. Uh-huh. That, that Phoenix Shaq don't count. That Boston Shaq don't count. Mother Shaq? Yeah. <laughs> Shaq's team. So, coming off of this, you go back to the finals in 03, lose to the Spurs, and then that's it for you in New Jersey. Um, I know your initial reactions to the trade didn't like it. I don't think it made much sense at the time. I still don't think it made much sense. When you look at those later 2000s New Jersey teams, like with Vince, the hole was always, you know, who's playing the four and who's playing the five. There was really nobody. Uh, You think if you're there with Vince, you guys go back to the finals? That we win it. Like no doubt in my mind. Like the way the league was going and how we played, like they needed, like I said, they needed Vince to feel to try to fill the void that I left. They needed that. So, but you you keep me there and you bring him in or you make another move at the five, somebody younger, more athletic, probably. And yeah, but it's yeah, I, I, no doubt in my mind, man. We we. If I don't leave New Jersey, we have a championship. No doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind. We have a championship. I agree. I mean, 04, people forget, you know, you're a game away from beating the eventual champs in Detroit. But yeah. What was the Honestly. what was the ration what was the rationale they gave you? Was it just was it just money? No, it was new ownership. The guy Bruce Ratner, he was a majority owner. It was 51% him, 49% the other group, and he didn't want us to sign me. He just didn't he didn't think signing somebody for that much was necessary, I guess. I never talked to the team. They never called and offered me a contract, so I don't know what the rationale was behind. Mm, that's crazy. This decision they made, obviously it was the wrong one. Obviously the wrong one. Uh just Closing out, wrapping up. When you look back, like 0203, is that the those is that the highlight of your basketball career? Going to back to back finals. Yeah, I think so. Um, making it to back to back finals, uh, making the All Star appearance, uh, that led to me being able to um, sign the contract that I signed. Uh, yeah, so I think those those couple years, as far as basketball was was the highlight of it. Um, going to Denver, making it to one West Conference Finals, um, being at Battle Cove was great. And all that, man. Um, but, yeah, I think that was the highlight. Those That couple-year run, being able to play against Reggie Miller and Jermaine O'Neal, and then some of the greats, man, that um, from my era that we played in the playoffs during that time. 
was was great. You know what I'm saying? So I take nothing from that time. Wish we could have won it, but it wasn't in the making. Um, but no, I don't look at my career as a failure because we didn't win. I didn't win or anything like that. I had a great career, but that, that couple year run was immaculate. I agree. And I don't think, you know, I don't think anybody should look at that way. And still, like I said, like 20 years later, people in New Jersey, like those, that's what's so dear to them is, is that two year. And they obviously lost the team. It's in Brooklyn now, but not really the same. So people, the people love it. And I appreciate your time, man. So thank you. Appreciate That's a wrap. Kenyon Martin on the 2002 Nets. We will be back next week with a fresh episode. Reminder, please drop a rating and a review on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Catch you next week. Be easy.